0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to tonight's podcast with him for Business Growth Secrets. I'm here tonight with uh, an MBE, Wilfred Emmanuel-Jones has done, had some great accomplishments over his career, and we're going to have a brilliant interview. I'm going to bring him in in just a moment. Uh, before I do that, make sure that you share this video as it comes up or put a comment in and say hello. it will be good to hear from everyone. I think you're going to get the opportunity to hear from somebody tonight that really understands branding at a high level, has had some massive exposure in the media, and also got himself an MBE. So it's going to be a brilliant, really credible guest. So hopefully you're all excited. So, without further ado, let's welcome in Wilfred. How you doing, buddy? you good? How are you? Well, you make me feel a lot better. Well, looking forward to a really good chat. You're a big
1: yeah, I'm looking character. forward to it as well.
0: Big, big character. So... Um, obviously I've given you a little intro there and, uh, you know, read lots about some of the things that you've done and, you know, it's uh, really impressive. And of course that you pioneered equality, you've got yourself an MBA, you've done some amazing things. And from, from me, from a business perspective, the reason that I do these podcasts and the reason that I bring guests on is for me, when you learn from somebody else that's been on a journey, that's been on a path and you can see some of the things that they've been successful in and you share that with other people that are on their journey, it can make a big, big Big difference to them. I'm sure uh, those that are watching would agree tonight. So, what I've seen from looking on the outside is that you seem to have a real handle on your branding, you know, and I think that uh, tonight's discussion, I wanted to ask you questions about that. But before I jump into that, and deliver some real content gems to those of you watching. If you want some content gems, pop it in the comments and tell us. Um, and you know, especially if, uh, around branding and I'd like to just maybe hear from yourself. Tell us a little bit about your journey, Wilfred and a little bit about your background and tell us how you got to where you are
1: today. And we'll go from there, I suppose tonight. Well, thank you very much, Adam. And I must say, what you're doing is a wonderful thing. For anybody who is starting up in this business, what you need is encouragement. You need inspiration. And these sort of conversations really help people on their journey. And my story really begins right back to, I'm one of the Windrush generations, in fact. I came over to this country in the 1950s. You all know the history that people like my parents came over here and in my case, they settled in Birmingham, and we were brought up in a place called Small Heath in Birmingham. Now I don't know if you've got any listeners from Small Heath in Birmingham, but as far as I'm concerned, it's a shithole, and I have no <laughs> friends at all. Oh, I'm the first person that jumps on tonight, he's from Birmingham. He's from Birmingham. Well, I'm sorry, you know, <laughs> but I still I still carry the scars of sort of living in Birmingham. Where you're from tonight? Tell us where you're from. <laughs> and the one thing you learn is that if you're from Birmingham, you get rid of that bloody brummy accent as fast as possible because otherwise people tend to sort of stereotype you. So but anybody from Birmingham, apologies if I'm going to offend you, but, you know, I have absolutely no fond memories at all about the place. And if this chap or lady is from Birmingham, they'll know what I mean when I talk about Small Heath. It's a shithole. <laughs> and um, I'm from a family of 11, and 11 of us actually lived in one of those classic two-down toast houses. And we were very, very poor. I can remember that my mother had to try and feed 11 of us with one chicken. And it's not like the chickens you now get at the supermarkets. These were sort of the old hens that you had to sort of boil for days to try and get it tenderized. And even to this day, I have a real fetish for chicken bones because I was so hungry, chewing away at getting every bit of nutrition from this bloody bone. Now, because we were so poor, My father had an allotment, and it was my job as the oldest boy to look after this allotment. And this allotment really became my oasis from the shithole of where I was actually um, living. And this is a really critical, important part of my story. I can remember that at 11 years old, I made myself a promise that one day I would own my own farm. I didn't know how I was going to do it but it was a dream that I lodged into the back of my mind and everything, everything that I subsequently did was to try and buy a farm. Now, the reason why that part of my story is important is this. One of the bloody difficult things about being English is that they love to understate everything. The idea that you have a big grand dream. it's You tend to sort of be ridiculed or it's tend to be poo-pooed. The English like to hold things down, like to be reserved. And the Americans tend to be the people who will sort of have this idea that you could actually be the president, that you could be something better than the circumstances in which you were born into. And I fundamentally believe this, and anybody that's listening to this podcast needs to remember this, is that you have to have the courage to dream. If you do not have the courage to dream, how you are going to be able to uh, achieve it. Because that dream, that focus I had, then actually then allowed me to achieve um, buying my farm some 30 years later. Now, I do not know how long you've got for me to witter on about my story. But sort of, <laughs> I will give you some few headlines because, having had that dream, I then went to the local. They were called secondary moderns then. I went to a local secondary modern school in, in, in Birmingham, and this school was as much as a shithole as the place that I was brought up in. The teachers hated being there. The kids hated being there. They didn't really police. They didn't really educate us. They policed us, really. They didn't really expect there'd be much that would happen to us. And, and in truth, a lot of the kids that I went to school with ended up in prison, you know, ended up in society. It's dustbin' heap. And the other thing that made schooling very difficult and challenging for me is that I'm dyslexic. Now, dyslexia is only something that people are now starting to acknowledge. Now, and i tell you what's really interesting is that everybody's now going around saying they're dyslexic because it's now seen as a sort of badge, a token that actually you have to that
0: have to handsome, Teddy, I think everyone wants to be it, do not
1: they? Everybody wants it because it's, sort of, <laughs> it's now seen as a sort of a gift. But back in the day, being dyslexic, you were seen as thick as shit. And, you know, the fact that you couldn't actually keep up with the rest of your your your, your classmates, you were sort of condemned. So I left school at 16. I could hardly uh, read and write. And there wasn't really many options available to me. So the only thing I had to do in terms of getting away from him is that I joined the army. Now, if there's one thing you do not do, if you've got an ounce of entrepreneurial spirit about you, Army and entrepreneurialism does not mix because the whole thing about being in the military is that you do as you're told, you follow Absolutely. orders. The whole <laughs> thing, the whole thing about being entrepreneurial is that you challenge conventions. You're always asking why. Anyhow, they spent about a year trying to lick me into shape, and then they kicked me out of the army. So I always say to people, the only qualification I have in life is that a dishonorable discharge that I got from the army. So I'm eighteen. I'm kicked out of the army. And then actually, it's, so well, what the hell are you going to do? And what's really interesting is that, believe it or not, in those days, if you were a failure at everything, the only thing that was available to you was catering. Catering is now a glamorous profession. <laughs> but, you know, back in the day, that was where all the stupid, thick people Have went we got any
0: caterers on tonight. That yeah, that's right.
1: I mean. that's right. But now, you know, now you say you're a cook. You know, there's all these bloody programs on TV with chefs and everything like that. And it's an honorable programmed, an un- honorable profession for people to get into. So I went to the local catering college, and luckily I enjoyed um, being a chef, and I worked in various restaurants and, as a chef. And it wasn't glamorous restaurants. Fundamentally, I was flipping burgers. You know, It sounds pretty glamorous, but I was working in sort of um, burger joints. Now, this is the importance of having a dream that I'm about to say, is that although I was managing to earn a living, flipping burgers that dream of owning my own farm was a constant nag a constant reminder that boy if you're gonna buy a farm you're never gonna do that sort of flipping burgers now at the time there used to be a very famous um tv program on on bbc called 40 minutes they used to make social documentaries i used to love that program and i can remember saying to all of my family and friends that actually you know what I'm going to go into television as a producer, director, making documentaries like that. So you can imagine they all looked. You were crazy. They thought I was nuts. They thought this fucking guy is crazy. You know, <laughs> but he, he, he's got no education. How on earth does he think he could ever get into TV? And now there's a couple of tips. I'm what going made to give you
0: make that statement. Let's kind of examine that. What made you make that statement? I'm interested I'm in this, my I, I
1: Most of my story that you will hear, it's about being bold and being audacious. That is a theme that you will see throughout everything that I've done It's about being bold and audacious. Now, okay. there's another sort of thing I want your listeners to take on board is this. This is a principle in how I've lived my life, and it's absolutely worked for me. And any successful person will have these two elements that will determine their success in life. And it was my father who told me this. My father said, you only ever need two things to achieve anything that you want in life. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter of your gender. It doesn't matter of your education. It doesn't matter in your background. Any successful person that you will ever meet will have these two things.
0: Let's see if we can. And, and yeah. listeners, right, before this is revealed, we'll do a bit of a reveal on
1: this. Two uh, things. They're so really, they're really, 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 <laughs> they're really really, important. And I think that everybody needs to really listen to this because that's the mantra I've always followed. The first thing is that you need to be ruthlessly, ruthlessly focused. And what I mean by being ruthlessly focused is that you're able to get rid of the white noise of living. So whilst your major at the pub getting pissed, And getting on holidays and sort of doing things that are distracting. You're fundamentally focused. So if you watch an athlete, you know, you know, if they got to get up at four o'clock in the morning to train, they get up at four o'clock morning to train. If it's pissing down with rain, they get up to train. Focus, focus, focus. Now, the second thing, and this is far more important than the first thing, is that you need to have passion. Now. The reason why passion is important is because it defies reason. It defies logic. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. It helps you get over all of the hurdles that life throws in front of you. If you sit down and you think you've got to try and work out logically, you've got to be rational about it, it will never, ever happen. And people say to me, well, what do you mean by passion? I say, everybody has passion. Because have you ever seen somebody when they're in love? They do fucking crazy, stupid things. You know, they're in love. You know, they do things that don't make sense. They're driven. Now, if people could understand, rather than using all that emotion and um, for when they're in love, to also use that for something that they care about and they're, they're interested in. That is the magic. Nothing else. That is the magic. Because, you know, you don't look at it. It's not rational. It doesn't make sense. You're just driven, 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 driven. That's the key. So you need focus and you need passion. So
0: the interesting thing I'll say about that, Wilfred, right? Uh, and I imagine you'll, you'll know this, right? Is most people are either fall into left brain yes. or right brain. Now, left brain would be focus and right brain would be passion. And essentially, they're two different things. And a lot of people have focus but don't have passion, and a lot of people have passion, but they don't have focus. So what we're saying to really is your
1: tip tonight, the two elements for success. Well, I love this thing about left brain and right brain. You've stole my subject. It's one of the things <laughs> I'm absolutely, absolutely fascinated about because um, left brain is about they're rational. They're logical, they're scientific, they go by the data, they go by the evidence, everything that they do is all based on what is rational and logical. Right right brainers are creative, they're emotional, they're inspirational, they go with their gut, and I believe, I'm a, I'm a classic, classic right brainer. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> real, real right brainer. And one of the big challenges that you have in life is that if all you're going to do is go by the evidence, you're always basically waiting to be given permission. Those people who go and achieve greatness is that they have a dream, they have an idea, and they say, we're going to go for it. And a simple example of that is this, is that when Kennedy said, you know, we will have a man on the moon, they didn't know how they were going to do it. There, there was no evidential data to do that. It was a dream. It was an idea. And that is essentially those people who want to be entrepreneurs is to, is to understand that. And all the bloody left brainers, bankers, accountants, fear mongers, avoid those bastards because they're the ones that will <laughs> find a way of telling you not to go with your dream. You will spend money That's with advice, these people. So let's, let's talk a bit of advice from left brain.
0: Rather than casting them off. The
1: word of advice for left-brainers, it is us, the right-brainers, that pay your bloody w- wages. We are the ones that have the courage. We are the ones that have the faith to go for something. Left-brainers only go by the evidence, go by what makes sense. It's the dreamers, it's the creators that, you know, take one of my great heroes, um, Steve Jobs. Take well, that. Yeah. Everything about Steve Jobs was about right brain. You know, it, it, it wasn't logically what's the right thing to do. You know as well as I do, Adam, you know, some of these big, fantastic companies that failed. because. And Kodak, I don't even know the story about Kodak. But that is one of the classic stories for anybody who wants to learn the lesson in business. They had the whole market when it was film. I don't know if, if your listeners are old enough to remember these old cameras where you had film rather than video. And they were the leaders. And then also what happened in their own, in their own research lab, they discovered the digital cameras. And they said, oh, man, we don't want to go down that road because actually we're making so much bloody money with film. Why did we want to invest in it? A year later, something like Apple came out with their bloody iPhone and and um, digital cameras. And destroy that business, you know, because they didn't innovate, you know. Didn't innovate, but also it's, it's it's the arrogance of standing still and thinking that the world is not going to change. And one of the things I want to discuss in this conversation is that you know the great opportunities come when there's uncertainty. And again, one of the things that Steve Jobs always says is, "Stay hungry, never ever." think that you've achieved and you can sort of relax and, and, and rest because somebody is running and coming up after you. So to stay alert, to make sure you're on track. But let me just tell this spectacular part of my story, because I told you that I had the idea, right, you could get anything that you want by being focused and passionate. And I thought, right, I want to get to the BBC. So I wrote to everybody at BBC, nobody answered my letters, tried ringing them, they wouldn't take my phone calls. At the time, in Birmingham, BBC Peppermill, Mill, they had those sort of manual um, gates where they'd let people in and out of the buildings, and the guards hated coming out of those huts. So I went to them and said, look, I'll do that for you, and I'll do it for you for nothing. So they thought, oh, wow, this black guy's going to do that for bloody nothing, Uh, we'll let him do it. So for months, I'm there letting people in and the, the building, good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, Madame. Plenty of months doing that. From there, I then met the um, the cleaners who were going in to clean the offices. So I said, "Look, can I actually come in and clean your offices for nothing?" And again, they said yes. And then this happened, and this is really another important part of my story. I met a guy, and I still remember his name to this day. His name was Jock Gallagher, and um, you know, I said, "I really want to get into television and all this sort of stuff." And he said, "Come up to my office." And he spoke to me for about an hour. And he says, look, you are not the type of person that we employ in, in television because you don't have the education uh, but you, and, and you've got a bit of an attitude problem. And he said, <laughs> uh, you know, I'll give you um, a three-month contract as a runner and to see what happens. He said, you know, it's probably going to be the worst mistake that he's made in his life when he'd do that. Now, that man, having the courage to give me that break then started up a long career in television. And so one of the things I say to people is find your guardian angel. Find your guardian angel because every single thing that I've achieved in my life, somebody has gone out of their way to give me a break.
0: But you have to put yourself in a position, don't you? A lot of people don't put themselves in the position. Now, as we we break down the story and we look there, most people don't have the balls to go and work within – that environment and say, so I'm going to do it for free. Most people do not do that, right? And this most people
1: are not ask. The thing is, what, what pisses me off is that, you know, they have an idea and they hold it close to them. They don't go and ask. I believe in the generosity of the human spirit. If you ask people, they will go out of their way to try and help you. This is why I
0: want to do things like this and why I want to bring inspirational and people that are, you know,
1: you're, you are focused, you are ruthlessly focused, there's no doubt. But, yeah, this is like but that's I don't want people to think that I? Well, I think I'm special, but there isn't anything that really unique about me. It's just understanding the basics. Simple things is that if you have an idea, talk about it, tell people yeah. about it, tell people about it, keep just, 100%. it's all about, actually, it's all about vulnerability. You know, yeah. you cannot get to the stage of courage unless you're prepared to make yourself vulnerable. And by telling people, if you have an idea, Yes, they might lie for, laugh at you. Yes, they might—they may say you're stupid. And most people will because actually you're doing something that they wish they had the courage to do. But your first thing is that you have to have the courage to put it out there because when you put it out there, your guardian angel will come and find you. Really, 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 really important. So that's a really big tip.
0: tip. The tip is find your guardian angel. Find and your guardian so true. I had a call earlier with someone today, and it's exactly what you're saying. Um, great guy, great guy. Timid, and if you want to get success, you can't be timid. You no, yourself. You've got to have that about you, and you've got to be. You can't be afraid. And and I want people to hear that. I'm glad that you have got the pizzazz and the balls to come out and say it straight, because a lot of people don't. Now I'm very yeah. straight.
1: And that's how I like to be, you know. But, I think, but, but part of it, again, I don't, wanna, I don't want this to be bashing the English culture. But part, <laughs> of, but part of the English culture is to downplay everything. And yeah. I, I, I know it's a bit like, you know, I'm a marketeer. And the biggest frustration that I have is that people make great products. And they think because they made a great product that people are going to buy it. And it says, no, they're not. You know, you've got to go out there and actually get engaged with people in order for them to actually buy what you do, and uh, you know, and the other thing is this: is if you try and do things the conventional way, you'll always fail. Because you know, if I put my um, CV into human resources, fucking don't get me onto bloody human resources, because human resources is all about sort of pigeonholing people and getting you to fit in a particular sort of stream, and I would never, ever, everything in my life is that human resources would have looked at me, or even interviewed me and said, we ain't here, we going to have him, and he chucked me out. So, you know, you've got to understand that if you want to break through, you can't follow the conventional rules. And what's fascinating as well is that I get a lot of people who have worked in corporate life come to me to talk about ideas or business ideas they want to do. And the biggest problem they have is that they're stuck in the mindset of how corporate society works. And corporate society is all about managing. It's not about about inspiring. It's all about managing. It's not about entrepreneurialism. It's all about actually how do you not make a mistake? You know, one of the great things I think is really important in life is that the only way you measure whether you are living is by the number of mistakes that you make. If you think that actually you can celebrate the fact that you haven't made a mistake, well, you're slumming it. You're not living life to a full. You're not
0: pushing the limits. You're no. not pushing
1: yeah. the limits. It's, it's, yeah. it's failure that says, actually, I'm alive. I'm moving it. So I want to have you know a, a celebration of failure every week that everybody should be doing that. This is where I fucked up. And I've learned from it. So it's not bloody, it's no fucking yeah. up and they're not learning from it, but you're learning from it because it's actually making you better and better and better. Absolutely.
0: Remember Wilfred, he's an MBA, he's gone out, he's built his business, he's built his brand. I love the comment that he just made that some of you might have missed, that he's a marketer. I always say, if you want to grow a business, you need to be a CEO marketer. You need to lead the marketing from the front you need to be that person who drives it. It seems that we're in synergy with that thought 100%, um, and we're definitely going to dive into that. We're going to talk tonight to Wilfred about branding as well and understanding how he's built his brand. Um, so where, where we're at is we've gone out, we've we've gone and we've worked within this TV studio. We've gone there and worked for free, Wilfred, and we've just plowed our way through. We've asked the question. We've found our
1: guardian agent, angel. What happens next in this story? So basically, and um, from that, I then, well, my claim to fame is that back in the day, I don't know how old your audience is, they're probably far too young, but... Um, all different you know, ages, all, different, all ages. different ages. But I used to work in a program called the, the the Food and Drink Program, and in its time, it was a real big programme. And my claim to fame is that I gave people like Gordon Ramsay his first break in television, oh, really? James Parton. Yeah. I was on James Parting's programme um a few weeks ago in fact. And we spent all of the time chatting and reminiscing about what I was like as a director because I was a bastard, I tell you. <laughs> my boss at the time, it was my job to break these guys in because, you know, These chefs, have you ever been to a kitchen? They don't take any shit from anybody. That it's a bit they're hard men. Mm -hmm. And so these Oxbridge producers were always quite intimidated by them. But you know, I'm you know, these chefs were the sort of guys that would take you outside to sort a problem out. And I was the sort of guy that would oblige, really. So my boss then knew that actually Wilfred, you are the person that needs to go and manage and direct um, these chefs. I can remember Gordon Ramsay. Um, coming to my flat in London, um, and me actually prepping him to what how he needs to perform the next day when we were going to um, some filming, and you know he cooked me a very nice um Sunday lunch in the process.
0: Was so, it on Sunday lunch? So you was,
1: had uh, Sunday lunch
0: with Gordon Ramsay. What's that like? That sounds pretty cool.
1: Well, he was a totally different animal then to what he is now. It's like it's seriously it's like chalk and cheese. It's about you know, he was obviously very, very powerful in, in, in the kitchen, but in front of the camera, you know, the, the, what I'm always interested in is people, how they perform in front of the camera, because the brilliant thing about the camera is that there is nowhere to hide. It picks up everything. Whatever you think you're hiding about your personality, the camera still... You shouldn't
0: will. hide. You know, the one thing that I would say is anybody, you want to let your personality come out. You
1: what know? It is. I mean, I, I, yeah. I absolutely agree with that, and I think that one of the fun fantastic things and the gift of and um, um, corona really is that um when you think about it people used to wear their bloody suits and dress up to go to work and that it was all about a persona and what i think we're now going to be doing is living in a time where people can be themselves that it's not about persona. i love it for example when i'm doing zoom meetings and somebody's got their little kid on their lap or the cat or the dog is walking around that to me just feels more real than somebody sitting there in a business suit, or like the bloody meeting I had before you had where it's all persona, persona, pissed me off, you know, giving up all my time for these boring people talking rubbish. I ain't going to do that again anyhow. I don't want to go back to that sort of thing. But what what, what I like is that, um, you know, you're you're dealing with the um, the authentic side of people's personalities rather than the persona they think they need to give in order to sort of um, survive. Yeah, it's so
0: true. And it's something actually that I personally wouldn't have, pointed out so i think it's a very good insight you know but it's true and you yeah, do it. get to see people in their homes you get to see how they really act
1: and see how they relax and, and everything which is awesome it's far and they, more human and the other yeah. thing i would advise people don't put those blurry goddamn background things on because that is also a bit of a persona so Let yeah Top tip,
0: no filters, yeah?
1: No, no bloody filters. <laughs> it pisses me up actually. The moment they put a filter, like, oh, my God. First of all, they have to wear a suit or you know buy an expensive thing in, in order to hide their persona. Now they've got these bloody filters that sort of doing the job. For them. Get rid of filters. I want to see you how you are. Um, Anyhow, I I travel the world making films about uh, food and drink. I went to nearly every country you could think of, and it's fantastic. And again, this is what's an important part of my story, because you would think that the guy from society's dustbin heap ends up at the BBC. The thing to do is shut the fuck up, you you know, thank your lucky stars, be really grateful that you managed to get into a place which is secure, you know, keep your head down and don't make a fuss. Now, another um, tip I would give to any of your listeners is this. The moment, the moment you think that you are comfortable and that you're safe and you're secure, that is your greatest moment of danger. And if you don't believe that, COVID has taught us that, that big lesson, that the only thing in life that is certain is that life is uncertain. And so, therefore, don't live your life thinking that you, it's all mapped out for you. I think
0: one so, of the things I'd say, Wilfred, is that having been through, and I've had businesses since I was 25, my first business I built a £40 million a year business, and plain sailing all the way. And then industry, market change, you're not plain sailing. And mm-hmm. if you've never had those changes, I think a lot of people, especially business owners, have mm-hmm. never been through a market change or an industry change. And when it happened, it shocked them. And mm-hmm. they've been really, really difficult to deal with. I think people are getting a bit more used to it now. But I think that challenge will be the making of a lot of people, you know, because it really does test you. And it, it, and actually, that's where you find the innovation when yeah. you're on the beach, really, isn't it? You know, yeah.
1: that's a massive thing, yeah. But you see, what I think is that to, to a certain extent, even though I had a shitty childhood, in a sense, it prepared me for things like this because it means that I'm flexible. I can adapt to change. And I think for me... It, that's why it's really, really difficult for people once they get to that position of comfort, yeah. that um, they don't understand this world. It's not for long. I mean, if you look at these big giants around the moment, like Apple, Google, and all these, you know, these guys are the pile of houses now. But doesn't mean they're going to be the pile of houses in another few years' time. Some, like the supermarkets, which is an area that I deal with. You know, I will guarantee you, I'm in my sixties now. But in my lifetime, supermarkets, as we know it, will not exist because it does not make sense. If you just think about it, the idea you get in your car, you drive to the supermarket, you go around to take things off the shelf, you put it in the basket, you take it out of the basket to put it in the the cashier, you take it and put it in your bag, it. it doesn't make sense. It's too much. So that will be stripped out. And so if I was a supermarket boss, I'd be thinking, what the hell should I be doing? Because this business will not exist because it, you know, it it doesn't have to exist. So I'm always, and that's why for me, actually, be it or not, COVID is a really rich time because it's thrown chaos and it's, it's bringing about change. And that's where the opportunity is because as people are desperate to try, you know, get back to what they call normal, they should ban that bloody word normal. It's never, ever, ever, ever going to go back to where it was, which is a good thing the key thing is to try and figure out what is going to be the new thing it's i mean any great business is catching the zeitgeist you know what is the mood what is the sense where are people feeling that is what i think people should be focusing on and i think that we're going to be going into the, into a time where people want to connect more with people where we want to You know, rather than have these big hierarchies and these big corporate entities is that people want to deal with a smaller player. So it's a really great time for starting your own business, you know, and people have learned that all these big um, corporates that they they relied on, you know, the moment that um, COVID hit, they were made redundant, they were made furloughed, yeah. they were sacrificed. And it doesn't make any difference how many years you work for there when it came yeah. to a bloody number. And I hope that people take that and they remember, actually, I must do what is personally important to me.
0: Well, an entrepreneur is in control of their own future, isn't it? I
1: think Exactly. That's a- and, yeah. I mean, exactly. And I just think that, you know, I would encourage anybody, that is where they need to sort of focus on. They've got to focus on what is there that is personally important to me? Because a lot of the things they talk about now, like, you know, what is it, sort of well-being and all this shite about, you know, about getting well-being. I don't believe in all that nonsense. Because um, you only need well-being if you're doing a job and you're doing a job that you don't like. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, if doing I don't
0: mean well being in general, but you mean like if you, you you know, I do understand what you mean,
1: yeah. Okay. Yeah, but if, you, if you're doing something you love, yeah. you don't need to have time out for your well being. Because you're constantly happy, you're constantly loving. You don't um, you, you don't watch a clock, you don't have because you're doing it because you love. You only need these things like well being when you're doing a job because actually you're doing a job so it gives you time to enjoy yourself. That needs to be turned on its head. If you're actually needing to do a job so you pay the money, so you can have time to have your your well being, get out of that bloody job. The job you should be doing, and it shouldn't be a job or the thing you choose to do. You're doing it because it feeds your spirit, and if something feeds your spirit, you know that is the that is a great.
0: Well, experience. I mean, for a the moment, then for a lot of people, because a lot of people are not in that situation, right? And we have and some, we have a wide range of viewers, and and I think that. With a lot of people that are not in that situation, in your opinion, I mean, as you said, you're in your sixties, so you've li- you've lived your life, and we haven't even got some of the really bad stuff we've done, you know, which we'll get to soon, um, which will be really interesting. But for a lot of people, what would you say to someone that actually isn't living their passion? They they're they're kind of just
1: they're going with the flow. But not every, the thing cost. you have to come to terms is that everything that you do you have made the choice to do that okay and I, I, do that? And, and I tell you what this is how everything every major decision that everybody makes in their lives will come down to one of two choices and if you and if anybody sits down and analyze it they'll find that it is it become one of two choices and that you'll decide to make that choice out of fear yeah. or hope yeah now both fear and hope are the constructs they're not real they're, yeah. they're pictures that we plant inside our head and it's one of, and then you'll find all the evidence that you want to find to justify the decision based on fear and hope and so that's the truth you have to come down to so we have this big debate at the moment about some people deciding not to take the covid vaccine as an example right yeah now, and the reason they're giving that was a they don't know. They might not be able to have children. Or there's tons of all these conspiracy yeah. theories. That and and they may be right. We don't know. They may be right, but they have to come to terms of the fact. The decision they've come to is a decision based on fear. You know, I've had my vaccine, and all of those things that they predicted may happen. But my decision has been based on hope. So everybody needs to figure out that the decision well, think, made, yeah, it was no. a decision made in fear or in hope, and everything always comes to that because what happens is that that's the thing you have to – and that comes about when you have a situation of uncertainty because it's easy to make a a decision when you have the evidence, when it's all there in front of you, but with uncertainty, you've got a choice between hope and fear.
0: I think one of the principles I've always lived off is that I always believe, no matter what, and this is a deep-seated belief, that I always believe that the future is better than the past. Exactly. So no matter what happens, I look forward. You know, exactly. I live in the present, and I'm very present, and I love what I do, and yeah. I love what I do today. <laughs> I don't have to believe that my future is going to be better than my past. Exactly. And a lot of people don't have that. They focus on, oh, well, they were the good old days. Well, no, 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 you create the good old days today. Yeah. Don't worry about what happened yesterday. Oh,
1: yeah. You know. So that's why when people say, well, they can't, that is a choice. It yeah. is a choice. They've chosen to live in fear. Rather than, you know, but all I say to people is that all you got to decide is which fear do you choose? You choose the, the the fear of the past, the fear of now, or the fear of the future. That's all. It ain't easy. There's no magic button. It's always fear-inducing. And so one of the things, what I, one of the reasons I love talking to people like you is that entrepreneurs, freelancers, other people have learned to live with uncertainty, yeah, you know, I thrive on it. You know, right. like I, I
0: thrive on the challenge of figuring out what's the next move. You know, yeah. the strategy of living in that. You know, if if I knew everything that was going to happen for the next two years, I'd be bored senseless. You know, exactly. I mean, you need that challenge. Don't you?
1: So, yeah. my what I say to people is that the thing to learn in life is how to make a friend of uncertainty, rather than the moment that uncertainty shows its face, that people dead. They get desperate and fearful. You embrace it. You put your arm around it. You give it a kiss. Mwah, mwah, my lovely friend. You let <laughs> it know that you actually are the one in charge, that you rule it, that actually it doesn't rule you. You walk along you say, look, I don't know where we're going, but we will be all right. That's all you've got to say to yourself. Right. You don't know where we are going, but we'll be all right. We will deal with these things as they come along. But what most people do, hey, they they in their heads, they're working out all these bloody problems that they created in their heads. Well, what about this? Or well, what about that? Or what about they say that? You know, okay, i a an
0: important question. This is an important question, right? A lot of this may have come naturally to you, right? A lot of it may have come naturally. But naturally, and there's things that have come natural to me. There's things that I've had to work on in order to cultivate them because I understand that that's how, how you change is how you succeed, right? What are the things that you would say, which is a, a better question, that doesn't come naturally that you've had to cultivate, whether it's overcoming fear, overcoming rejection, changing the way you think towards hope rather than fear. What are the things that you've actually found challenging? Like you know that you should do this, but you found it a challenge to do it.
1: What has that been? Well, everything that I am now is what I call a construct. And I knew that in order to, um, to achieve the things that I needed to do, to achieve, life I had to change. I was saying earlier on that, you know, um being Grosby in Birmingham, I knew that if I didn't do something about my accent going around like a brummy, that would sort of be, that would get in, in, in the way. So I deliberately, deliberately changed my accent. Every time, if I wanted to get from A to B and I figured out this is what you needed to do to do that, I would change. It ain't going to come towards you you have to be able to adjust and sort of change and so you've got to make that sort of commitment that you would you need to change and adapt in order to get to where you want to get to yeah and then also the choice you've got to make in life is this it's that you have to decide whether you want to be a beer or a belonger most people want to belong and now the moment you belong you have to operate by the the rules of of that group of that community, and if you uh, if you don't, you'll be ostracized. Now, to be, you have to decide to go out on your own. And the simple example I tend to give people is this: is that let's say someone's gay, and they know that their parents really object; that their parents are, 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 will have an issue with that. And that person will have a choice: they either hide their sexuality uh, and not tell their parents in order to belong, hmm. or they take the risk of telling their parents, knowing that they would be rejected, and they go on their, their way. Now, part of being an entrepreneur is, is that you've got to take that leap as well. Whereas, could you imagine saying to all your friends and your family, you know what, I'm going to give up my job, and I'm going to start this business. Most people who live in fear, by the way, are going to try and stop you from doing that drag you back or try and find 101 reasons why you shouldn't do it why you want to stay be like them and you would have to make that decision of whether you want to belong or to be and therefore you take that you have to take a leap of faith it's a really interesting concept hi
0: hey everybody adam here and i hope you loved today's episode I hope you thought it was fabulous and if you did i'd like to ask you a small favor could you jump over and go and give the podcast a review of course i'll be super grateful if that is a five star review we're putting our all into this podcast for you delivering you the content giving you the secrets and if you've enjoyed it please go and give us a review and talk about what your favorite episode is perhaps